Well, welcome everybody joining us online uh, right now. Just so glad that you are here with us. And let me just reemphasize something that Josh just said in that introduction is that uh, next weekend we are coming back together, regathering here um, in our building. And I couldn't be more excited about that. I mean, it's been over four months since we gathered here and it is time. It is absolutely time. So I hope you all know you are invited to come. And those of you that feel comfortable and ready to do that, then you just come and join us. We're going to have one one service on Saturday at 5 and 1 on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And we're going to take this week to week and go from there. But I hope you guys are already planning on coming and being a part of that. Today, we are starting a brand new series that I am just simply calling COVID and the Christian. And I will admit it, that is a strange way or a strange title to call a new series of messages. If it wasn't the year 2020, I mean, now that it's the year 2020, then obviously that is not a strange title at all. So we had like, what are we, about seven months into this year already? It's hard to believe that it has been seven months already in 2020. But I would say in that seven-month period of time, I don't think there has been one day go by that I haven't said the word coronavirus at least once. And in fact, I highly doubt, in fact, I would be shocked if there was anybody left on our planet who has not heard of the coronavirus. Yeah, somebody might say, well, what about those tribes out in the rainforest and they're cut off from civilization? Okay, maybe they haven't heard of the coronavirus, but I would say everybody else on the planet certainly, certainly has. My wife got a shirt here recently, and I think her shirt pretty much kind of sums up most people's feelings on, on the year 2020. Her shirt simply says, you know, hey, one star review, certainly could not recommend the year 2020. Don't we all feel that way? I mean, that's, that's how we feel, isn't it? Now, I love the movie Back to the Future, and I was thinking the other day, if they ever decided to remake that movie or to change it in any way, they would certainly add this new dialogue into that movie. It's where Doc would say to Marty, he's like, hey, listen carefully, Marty, whatever you do, do not set this thing to the year 2020. Isn't that pretty much our general feeling on this year right now? This has been tough. There's no doubt about it. 2020 has been hard. And there are some days that I feel like we are getting over the hump. And then there's other days where I go to bed at night and I think to myself, we are getting nowhere. I think for me personally, and maybe you agree with this, is that uh, I get frustrated by what seems like so many missed messages, mixed up messages out there. You have one doctor, you have one expert who says this, and then you have another doctor and another expert that comes out and says the exact opposite. One researcher will give his opinion on this, and then another researcher will give the exact opposite opinion. You have one leader make this strong stand and say, we gotta do this, and then you have two other leaders that cry foul and say, we shouldn't do that at all. One day, we are told that this is a vital part of, of getting over the coronavirus, and the very next day, it's like, no, that's not a vital part at all. Months ago, when this first started, you might recall, we were told, what, 15 days to flatten the curve. Do you, do you remember that? 15 days, and we're going to be over this thing. Well, we did that, and now what are we seeing? Well, it seems like the highest number of cases of coronavirus yet. There have been days that have left me wondering if anybody knows anything at all 
And of course, we all know those people on social media who think they are the expert at everything considering this coronavirus, about wearing a mask, you know, COVID testing. And anyone who dares disagree with their expert analysis is a nincompoop and probably voting for the other guy in November. That's the way it seems like on social media. Polarized is too soft a word to describe the state of our union currently, not just when it comes to the coronavirus, but in all walks of life, it would seem lately. What in the world is happening to our great country? Lately, when I turn on the news, I I read stories about, it seems like our, our whole country has lost its mind. It seems like it has come unhinged. Riots and protests and calls to defund the police, politicians whose rhetoric sounds not just un-American but anti-American. You have civil, civic leaders and local elective officials that are standing arm in arm with the anarchists in their communities. And I go, what in the world is going on? Coronavirus? Civil unrest, oh, I could point to a dozen of other things that are hot topics in the news and in our country right now, and every single person has their own opinion about them. But what I personally believe we should be the most concerned about right now is what does God think about all of this? What does the Bible have to say about what we are going through right now as a nation? And how should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, conduct ourselves through all of this? So today, we're starting this brand new series that, I, I, like I said, I'm just calling it COVID and the Christian. And this is a series that has been stirring in my spirit for many months now. And this idea of how Christians are to navigate through this twisted maze of these strange days that we are, are, are living in, this atmosphere that the coronavirus has created, well, it is unlike anything that I've experienced before. And as I have the opportunity, I try to ask a lot of people, especially people who are older than me, and I'll ask them, I say, hey, you, you've lived longer than me. Have you ever experienced anything like this before. And I get the same answer from every single person I talk to. No, this is unique. This is different. I've never experienced anything like this. So there's this question that kind of hangs out there. And this question that really does overlay this entire series. And the question is this, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who has claimed victory in the power and blood of Jesus Christ, who's striving to live every single day of our lives for Jesus, how does somebody like that respond to everything that happens to be going on in our world right now? When the world goes off and gets itself crazy, how do we as followers of Jesus respond to that? That's what this series really is all about. Now, I wanna have full disclosure here. I wanna be completely transparent with, with all of you here today that uh, the birth of what would become this series that we're starting today, well, it was born out of some frustration and some deep concern. I have been frustrated by how some Christians have, been, have chosen to respond to the coronavirus. And no, I am not preaching this series out of anger or anything like that. I'm anything at all like that. But I'll admit it to you. 
What got me thinking down this path months ago, what got me thinking about where we were gonna head after we finished our Revelation series, it was born out of some anger and out of some frustrations over how some Christians were choosing to behave and how they were choosing to respond and how they were allowing themselves to behave in the midst of this pandemic. You know, over these last few months, I've seen tremendous examples of perseverance and trust in the Lord, and I have been greatly encouraged by those, but I've also seen fear inside of many Christians' eyes. Did you hear me, friends? I have seen fear inside of Christians, and there's something inside of me that says Christians should not live in any kind of fear, that fear is something that goes against our faith in some way, but I've seen just this unnatural, unnormal fear that has seemed to take over many Christians' lives. There have been others who have been doubting God in all of this. I've seen Christians walk around with their head down, just wondering what is going on? Oh, woe is me, this is gonna be the end of us. Uh, The coronavirus has hit, and it seems like some Christians have forgotten that God is still completely in control. That God has never taken his eyes off of anything we're doing. His hand is still on the steering wheel. But sometimes we as Christians seem to forget that. And we think that everything is completely out of control. These last few months, I've seen some really great examples of some mature faith during this pandemic. There have been plenty of examples, though, of immaturity that I feel have brought shame and embarrassment to the cause of Jesus Christ. I have seen this pandemic produce incredible generosity, compassion, servant-spirited actions, and grace from the people of God. But I've also seen it produce examples, very sad examples, of arrogance, rudeness, gossip, slander, malice, discord, and flat-out unchristian behavior that I fear have given some people more reason than they already had to not want anything to do with Christianity whatsoever. So there's this question that's just hanging over all that we're doing and how do Christians confront hard times? How are we supposed to behave in the midst of a crazy world? How we respond to this thing that we're dealing with right now speaks volumes about our faith in our Heavenly Father. And you know, when we experience difficulty in life, we either become more like Jesus or we digress and we become more like the world. That's typically the response that somebody has when life gets tough. We either get more like Jesus or we become more like the world. And only you, only you watching me right now can answer that question for yourself. During this coronavirus, have you grown more like Jesus or have you grown in a way that reflects the way the world thinks and the world behaves and how the world treats people and what the world puts their trust in? COVID and the Christian, how should we be responding 
to all of this. Well, that's what this series is about over the next couple of weeks. And to get us started, I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. It's in the New Testament, 1 Peter. And I love the book of 1 Peter. And if you've never read 1 Peter, then, then you should really spend some time this week doing that. This is not a series through 1 Peter by any means, but 1 Peter is such a phenomenal book. And even though it was written to Christians who are living in the first century, it is still so relevant today. You could read it and you could think that, man, Peter was thinking of me when he wrote this. This is written right to our church, right to us. And I think about the Christians in Peter's day, they really were not all that different than you or I. He wrote this letter to them because they were experiencing a very difficult season in their lives. Now, it's not a long letter. You can read it in just a few minutes. But in that short letter, Peter mentions the word suffering over 15 times. He talks about what they're going through and their suffering over 15 times. Now, as you read 1 Peter, you're going to see that their suffering was directly linked to their faith in Jesus Christ. These Christians, they were coming under tremendous attack. They were being mistreated. They were being discriminated against. They were flat out being persecuted to its like nth degree, all because they were following Christ. It's really not all that different than what we looked at when we were studying Revelation, when John wrote his letter to, to the seven churches, that, that they were experiencing some of these very same things. Well, these churches that Peter's writing to were experiencing very challenging days in their Christian life. And no, to answer your question, they were not facing a virus outbreak. But they were facing things that caused them great suffering. And what Peter shares with them about their difficulties and how they should be responding to them and how they should be viewing their heavenly father in the midst of these kind of struggles, well, that's the same response that we should be having as as well. Different challenges, but the same response as followers of Christ. And that's why I love the book of 1 Peter. And it's in his opening remarks to these Christians that I believe we should be reminded of today. So if you got your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, let's read it together. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
Now there is a whole lot going on in these few short verses and we're not gonna unpack all of them here. But what I wanna point out to you is how Peter begins this letter to all of these persecuted Christians, to all these Christians that are struggling through various trials of many kinds. He starts in the exact place we need to be at right now. He says what? Hey, praise be to God. Did you see it right there in verse three? Praise be to God. Before he even addresses any of the hard things that they're going through, he says, hey, we need to be all about praise of our heavenly Father. He wanted to make sure that, hey, all of us are on the same page. You know, we can't all be all these different places thinking these same things about God. No, we need to come down and sit ourselves and get started and have a proper view of what we're dealing with. And that proper view of hard things in our lives starts with godly praise. It's like Peter, it's like Peter was writing this letter. I'll put it in my own words here. It's like he was writing to them and I think he's writing to us in the same way. He's like saying, hey guys, look, I know that you have a whole lot going on in your lives right now. Times are tough for many, many, many of you. You've had to suffer, I know that. And many of you, you have lost so much and there's so much uncertainty right now that's filling your days. But before we get to all that stuff, before we start talking about all of those things that you're going through, let's all start at just the right place. Let's get all on the same page. Let's get focused on what's really important. And our focus has to be on God, what he has done for us, and what he has in store for us down the road. So praise be to God. Let's not take our eyes off of what's really important. You know, I don't know how well you handle hard times, But I can tell you how sometimes hard times hit my life. Sometimes when difficult days come, I don't always immediately look to God for the answer. Sometimes I get so fixated on the mountain that's in front of me that I fail to get on my knees and praise to God who could actually move the mountain. Sometimes I think that I can move mountains all on my own and in reality, I can't, you can't, I can't fix coronavirus or anything else in this country. But I believe and my faith is in a God who absolutely can. And you know what? Sometimes I fear that Christians have lost sight of that truth. That we serve a God, that we worship him, all praise goes to him who can in a snap of his fingers change the course of of mankind. I don't know how you handle difficult situations Sometimes I have to stop and I have to press pause in my life and say, all right, Joe, you are focused on the wrong thing. And I think the coronavirus at times gets us off track of where our focus should be. So Peter, what he's doing with these Christians here is he's helping them get focused on what the right things and what God has done for them. And and if you read those few verses again, I think you're gonna see that Peter really brings up three things that uh, he wanted them to be focused on. And I think there are three things that we should be focused on. What does he say right from the text? He talks about the Lord who's done what? He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter's like, have you forgotten that? In all of this craziness that we're living in, have you forgotten that the Lord has done a new work in your heart? He's created something brand new out of you, all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, let me just be honest with you, and I want you to be honest with yourself. When was the last time you really focused in and thought about the fact that God made something brand new out of your life when you got down on your knees and asked for forgiveness? 
Have you forgotten that through this? Peter doesn't want any of our suffering to go on without acknowledging, hey, let's rejoice in God. He's done an incredible work in our lives. What's the second thing that Peter reminds them of? He reminds them of the fact that they have eternal life. I try to remember all the time, and I try to share this with people whenever I get a chance to, that whatever hard thing that we're going through, it will not last forever. I don't think there's really much of anything that lasts forever in this life, but if it does, I do know this, that ultimately in heaven, where we have eternal life, where our eternal home is at, what we're suffering here on earth will not last forever. And we have eternal life, so let's praise God. He's done a new work in your heart, and that's why you have eternal life. And then the third thing that I see in our text that Peter reminds them of is this. Because of what the Lord has done for you, he has filled you with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And I wonder if this coronavirus, if you've allowed this coronavirus to steal some of that joy that God has put in your heart and he had no plans to ever remove. Have you allowed the coronavirus to steal some of that joy? This is all about perspective that Peter is writing about. When days are difficult, it's easy to lose it. And I think if a lot of Christians are being honest, I would say many of them have lost their perspective just a little bit on who is still in control, who has done a good work in our lives, who has promised eternal life, and who is the source of our real joy. Look at verse six with me again. We just read it, but let's look at it again. It says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he doesn't exactly limit it to persecution. He limits it to many kinds of hard and difficult things. But he says, even in those things, there is still reason to rejoice. Why do we have reason to rejoice even if we lose our job? Why do we have reason to rejoice even if we lose our health? Why do we have reason to rejoice even when our kids rebel and even when life throws us difficult things and when we get coronavirus and if we have to go to the hospital? Why is it that we can still find joy? It's because we have a new life in in, in, in the Lord that nobody can take away from us. We have a hope, an eternal life that no one can snatch away from us. We have a joy that can never go away unless we replace it with something else. And that's why we can greatly rejoice. So friends, if you're taking notes today, I want you to write something down. And I want you to remember it because I think it's so key to our everyday walk with Jesus. And it's this, rejoice about the right things. And you'll be able to endure anything. Now just think about that for a minute. If we will start every day of our lives rejoicing about the right things. And what are the right things? That that the Lord is still on his throne. That he is still in control. That he has given us a new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Eternity is in our future and we have this joy that nobody can take away. If we rejoice about the right things... I promise you, you can endure anything. Bill and Gloria Gaither are names that I know many of you watching me right now are very familiar with. They have been uh, Christian singers and songwriters for decades, and churches all across America are still singing their songs 
in their churches. And there's this one song that uh, Gloria Gaither wrote in the 1960s that really became one of their most popular songs ever. And she wrote this song while she was expecting a child. She, she was pregnant. And, and she talks about um, that season in her life is a very difficult season. She, her husband, Bill, had been dealing with some significant health concerns. And she said at that time in, in history, people were attacking their music as not being very spiritual. And she goes, it was just a, a really, really difficult season for them. And she said it was a New Year's Eve night. She sat in the dark and she was experiencing what she just refers to as torment and fear. And she said this. She said, I sat alone in the darkness thinking about this rebellious world and all of our problems and about our baby who hasn't even been born yet. Who in their right mind would bring a child into a world like this? I don't know, maybe you've thought the same thing. Maybe as parents, you're wondering, man, what kind of world are we bringing our children into? It seems and feels so different than the world that we grew up in. Well, she was dealing with that back in the 60s. Well, she was at the height of her fear, and she said, that's when something happened on that day. She said, I can't quite explain what happened that next moment, but suddenly, I just felt released from all of it. The panic that had built up inside of me was starting to dispel and this reassurance came over me and she goes, it was like this quiet voice that just kept saying in my mind, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. And she said, when I got focused on that truth, that's when I knew, oh, I can have this child and I can have this child with optimism and with trust, for I've been reminded that all of this is worth living for because he lives. She sat down and she wrote out some of the most famous lyrics to one of the most famous songs ever. I know many of you know it says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Do you know it? Because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. You know, it's really easy to lose perspective. You look at what's going on in the world today and our minds can run wild. But the words of 1 Peter, it keeps us with the right perspective in this strange season. Sure, there's suffering. Sure, there's trials. Sure, there's pain. Those are always gonna be there. But no matter how hard things may ultimately get, we have reason to rejoice. God has done great things for us. He will see us through this. He died on the cross and now he lives. And because of that, no matter what comes along our path, we can face it. And he will see us through it. So friends, it's time to stop living our lives like you won't. And it's time to stop living with so much fear and doubt, wondering if God is still in control. And I'm here to tell you today, he 
is. And it's time for the church to behave accordingly. Rejoice about the right things and you'll be able to endure anything. And why will you be able to endure it? Because when you rejoice and when you are focused on the right things, you begin to see all the benefits that these trials actually bring into your lives. Look at verse six and seven again. In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer uh, grief in all kinds of trials. There's, there's things here that, that Peter is connecting for us. And then he says this, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, now this is a really interesting verse, and there are other passages of Scripture that say virtually the exact same thing, that trials are actually good things. And that's, that's like counterintuitive. It's like hard things in my life are actually good things. Like difficult days can be things that God is using to shape my faith. That's exactly what Peter is saying. And he's acknowledging this fact that these trials, hard things, even the coronavirus and getting sick and, and all of that can prove itself to be very valuable to our faith, that that right there, the lesson would be more valuable than even gold and what God is doing, how he's refining your life. You know, one of my favorite TV shows right now is a show on Discovery Channel called Bering Sea Gold. Have, have you heard of this show? I mean, it's a fascinating show. It's about a bunch of gold miners who dive into the icy waters off the coast of Nome, Alaska. And they dive down to the, the ocean floor with these big suction dredges and, and they're trying to suck up any gold that might be lying on the surface uh, of the ocean. Or they dig down, they try, to, they try to bring it up. It's an extremely dangerous occupation. There are people who are willing to risk their very lives to get this gold. Why? Why would somebody risk their life to get some gold? It's because gold is very valuable. Gold prices are way up and just a few ounces of gold is worth thousands of dollars and people seem to be willing to do anything and try anything and go to any risk or measure to try to get it. You know, a few months or a few weeks ago, my family was vacationing in Colorado and while we were there, we did some off-roading up in the mountains and while we were doing that, we came across a number of these old ghost towns. I mean, they're, they're mining towns, they were old ghost towns that used to be, you know, these booming little communities full of people during the gold rush of the 1800s, but now they're just a few buildings that are broken down, just remnants of what once was. One of these little gold mining uh, towns, is ghost towns, was called Animus Forks. It sits at an elevation of about 11,000 feet. It's a fascinating place if you like history and you like old things like that. Um, people have come in and they'd posted uh, signs and pictures to kind of show and describe what life was like in the 1800s when this was a little booming gold town. And um, it really is a trip to go, to go back and look at those pictures and read those descriptions. You can kind of visualize what it would have been like to wake up every day out there at that elevation and that location and, and go put your life on the line to go dig out a little piece of gold from the ground. One of the descriptions on the pictures of the, in that little town, that little ghost town, 
it, it described life this way. It said, imagine how hardy those first settlers must have been to scratch out a living from these mountains. Snowstorms up to five feet and prolonged sub-zero temperatures were not uncommon in this remote corner of the Rockies. Avalanches following several storms of epic proportions in the 1800s isolated the community for months at a time. It's hard to conceive all of the deep resilience and determination these miners had to have Mustard, all for gold. Throughout history, gold has been that one thing that seems to have been sought after more than anything else. And you know what Peter says about gold? He says that you possess something that is far more valuable than gold. And to just sit on that for a minute. That you have in your life right now something. It is your faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter says that right there, your faith is more valuable than what people say is the most valuable thing on this planet. Your faith is more valuable than what people are risking their lives to achieve. So you have something in your possession, in your heart, that nobody else could ever replicate, no matter how much gold that they suck up off the bottom of the ocean or dig out of the mountains in Colorado. Trials, hard times, even the coronavirus, I think is God's way of reminding us and proving to us that our faith truly is the most valuable thing that we could ever possess. Christians, I believe the coronavirus and all the challenges that come with it it should increase our faith. It should increase our trust. It should increase our hope. It should increase our dependency on God's word and his presence in our life. God is doing something with all of this. I can't tell you exactly everything that he's doing with it, but I know that God is doing something with this season in our country, and one day it will be revealed. Is that where your faith lands? God's doing something, and it will all be revealed one day because he's still in control, so praise be to God, I just need to trust him. You know, I've been a minister I've been the minister here at New Life for almost six years. It's hard to believe it's, it's six years already, but it is. And during those six years, I could list off for you uh, a number of folks right here in our congregation who have gone through some of the most unimaginable, trying, difficult seasons of their lives where they've encountered severe illnesses or they've lost a loved one or a very sudden loss of a loved one. They've experienced incredible disappointment like you would not even believe. And the heartache that accompanies what some families in our church are going through would blow your mind if you knew it all. Some in our church have experienced the worst kind of betrayal you can ever imagine. And they've gone through severe trials. And I believe, because I know a lot of these families and I've spent time with them, if they were up here today, they would be able to testify that the trials that they endured or the trials that they are still enduring at this very moment are strengthening their walk with Christ. And it's proving their faith more valuable than gold. I'm reminded of what James says in chapter one, verse two. He says something very similar to Peter. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith 
develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Friends, it is time that we as the church start treating our faith as something more valuable than the gold that we wear around our necks. That's what it is. Oswald Chambers, very famous writer, wrote my utmost for his highest. He has challenged me before, but I want to read something to you that he wrote years ago that I think will challenge you and all of us. He says this, a saint's life in the hands of God, or we'll just modernize the language, a Christian's life in the hands of God is as a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the Christian cannot see. He stretches and strains, and every now and again, the Christian says, I cannot stand anymore. But God does not heed. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight. Then he lets fly. How do we as Christians respond to all that's happening around us? Well, We choose to either become more like Jesus or we digress and we become more like the world. And if our choice, my friends, is to be more like Jesus, then Peter's words here have great impact on our lives and they help steer us down the road to a more Christ-like response. Friends, let's rejoice about the right things. And when we do that, Lord willing, with God's help, We can endure anything. I am so looking forward to these next few weeks together where we will really dive deep and unpack this question. How do Christians respond in the midst of coronavirus and all this civil unrest in the world? How do we continue to trust in the Lord and behave like the followers of Christ we are committed to being? How do we do that? Well, I hope you'll stick with this series. I can't wait to unpack all of these things with you and have the discussions with you that come along with it. Let me just pray for all of us right now. Dear gracious God, I just thank you so much for how you are persevering us and seeing us through what is proving to be a very long, protracted, difficult season. And Lord, we are not capable of knowing every single thing and all of your purposes for why you've allowed this virus to wreak the havoc on this world as it has. But Lord, what we do know is you use things like this to draw people unto you. And Lord, I pray that it will have that effect on so many. Lord, my prayer is that there are even people watching right now who maybe weren't even interested in you before all of this. But when times got hard, when days got difficult, they said, there's gotta be more to this world than anything I've seen so far. And perhaps, Lord, that has drawn them to this moment right here. And maybe, Lord, right now, it's the decision time for them. Am I going to place my faith and trust in you And Lord, let something grow up inside of me that is more valuable than anything else I could ever pursue on this planet. Or am I gonna go ahead and continue my own way and do things the way I feel is right? Lord, I pray for anybody watching this who's 
being tugged with that decision. I pray, Lord, that they'll repent and they'll turn their heart to you. Lord, for those of us that are, have professed our faith in you, God, Lord, may we be the examples of faithful followers in this crazy world. Lord, may the world look at us, and although they may not agree, and although they may scorn and make fun of, but Lord, may we be continuous in our trust in you. And that, Lord, knowing that you are doing something in this world that perhaps we cannot even see. Lord, I pray you help us stay faithful. And if we have God at any point follow this path of worldliness where we have been involved in, in, in activities, God, that have not shined a good light on your son or have embarrassed the church or the kingdom, God, or has made people want to not have anything to do with because of our behavior during this season. Lord, I pray that we would repent, that, Lord, we would make it right, and we would commit to a different path moving forward. Lord, I just pray, God, that you help the New Life Church family be what it is you have called us to be. And it's in your name that we pray these things, the name of Jesus, amen.